Good morning, Ohana. Ooh, it's a little, little hot. Good morning. I got a question for y'all guys. Um, do y'all have anything in y'all's life that, that was a memory of something? So, so I'll give you an example of mine because most of mine are in Tennessee. Um, but, but this is, all right, look at, look at me, guys. This was a long time ago. This was 10 years ago. Don't judge me now for sins of the past, all right? All right, so, so this is me. This was one of my, my moments in, in life. So your kahoo used to be able to fit into this. But more than that, all right, this was the last jersey I played a high school football game in. So what does that mean? I wanted to, I wanted to hold on to that moment. So what, how did I hold on to that moment? I didn't wash this sucker for a year after that last game. So it was just kind of funky up in the closet. And some of the women are like, ooh. <laughs> so I actually had a guy on my team that didn't wash his practice jersey the whole, the whole year, which was 12, 12 weeks until somebody finally stole it and took it home. But there's things in our lives we like to hang on to. That moment, that feeling of, of go, running out onto the field for the last time. Things of that in life. What, what are some things that we can hold on to? Things, gifts from parents. I still have Christmas cards that my parents have sent me from a long time ago. Tokens, like we like to get memorial souvenirs. Who remembers the penny squisher thing where you place a penny into a thing? Like I've got one from um, the Smoky Mountains National Park and SeaWorld and all that stuff and you crank it and it imprint. Like we like little tokens to to memorialize things in our past, yeah? So we get to actually see some of that today um, in our passage of Scripture. So if you can, turn with me to the book of Mark. Um, Mark chapter 9 is where we'll be at today. But um, as, we, as we do, as y'all are turning there, just a little setup. Like, we've, we've went through Mark chapter 8 pretty quick lately. And so um, just a couple of reminders that this is halfway through Jesus's ministry. We're kind of at the halfway mark, and this is kind of the pinnacle of the first half of his ministry so far on this earth. And then secondly, we see, like, we know where Jesus's was. So, so in Jewish culture at this time, G- the Jews were waiting on a Messiah. They didn't fully understand that what we see today as Jesus was that Messiah. So we've got to place ourselves in their, in their camp and understand that, that they did not fully know who Jesus was. So Jesus is revealing himself as they go throughout life. And so a couple weeks ago, we studied Peter, yeah? We've studied a lot about Peter. Peter says a lot about who we are as Christians. And, and so we'll go into some of that. But a but couple, three weeks ago, I, I believe, um, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And then they told him, uh, John the Baptist and others say Elijah. And, uh, um, and then he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And that's in chapter 8. So, so just remember upon the things that we've learned the past couple of weeks. Um, of, and we'll dive into that more when we go into this passage of Scripture. But if you can turn, if you have your Bibles open to Romans, I meant Mark chapter 9. Um, if you could stand with me in the reading of God's word, we'll read verses 1 through 13. You ready? Say amen. amen. There we go. Verse 1. And he said to them, truly I say to you, 
There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it, has, after it has come with power. Verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took, them, took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared with them Elijah with Moses. And the, And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good that we are here? Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they saw no one, they saw no longer saw anyone with them, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning the rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, what do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did, not, they did with him whatever they pleased, as it was written of him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for what this passage means, Lord. Lord, um, as we come to unpack this, may it not be my words, but it may be you revealing who you are today. Lord, may you open our ears, may you open our eyes to see the truth that is in front of us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So in the first part of this passage, In verse number two, it says, After six days, they took with him Peter and James and John and led him up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. In this this context, anybody know what transfigured means? Does anybody know the Greek word? It actually is metamorphosis, which when in my 1991 baby self, what do I think of? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Who's with me on that one? Who remembers that great show? But all throughout, like, we can see this Greek word used in this, in the same way. Like, when we look at Spider-Man, the the comic Spider-Man for some of the older or younger generations, he metamorphs into Spider-Man. Usually he's Peter Parker. And then he changes into something greater. But the beauty of this is all this time that we see, we see like the Power Rangers that got special powers. We see, um, I see my son's bottle, PJ Mask that transforms into superheroes at night. They're ordinary people that are revealed in extraordinary ways. You see that? So, so Spider-Man, Iron Man, any of the comics. But here we see Jesus in a way where he's actually revealing his true deity that he's suppressed, suppressed in the future. Philippians 2, 6 through 7 says this. Who, though he was in form of a man, the form of God, no, sorry, let me restart. Who, though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God 
a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So in this passage, God is actually getting to reveal himself who he actually is. He gets to show his three disciples, his closest friends here on this earth, who he actually is. So in most of these things that, that we see an extraordinary come out of the ordinary, we are actually seeing here that the extraordinary existed before the ordinary. That, that God the Son was created in eternity past in all of his glory, all of his power, and all of his majesty, and now he's being revealed in that form here on earth. So here's two truths that we see in this transfiguration that we see of Christ. The first, the first truth we see is Christ revealed. In the verse, starting in verse 1, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here today that will not taste death until the kingdom of God, until they see this kingdom of God and it, after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up the mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white. And no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared with them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Remember what, we've, what I said in the beginning, where we were at in the study of Mark. Three Sundays ago, Peter just confessed that Jesus was Christ. Two Sundays ago, Jesus rebuked Peter for saying, you don't know, get behind me, Satan, you don't know what my plan is. Yes? Now, that's in, verse, that's in verse 33 of chapter 8. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your minds on things of God, but on the things of man. This stuff just happened. And then Jesus says in, the, in last week's um, message, that all must suffer to be disciples of Christ. That we all will suffer something in life to be to be a disciple of Christ. Jesus set them up. Jesus is setting them up, not in a way to deceive them or make them sin, but Jesus is setting them up in these passages to say, this is my plan. I am God. You, you think you know, but you really don't know. I just rebuked you for saying something. You don't know who I am. Jesus knew the deity within him. Peter and James and John were all blind to it. This is the way, this is the way um, I see it sometimes. Who's ever had a boss that, that you, you told an answer to a boss, and he was like, yeah, you do it that way, and then come to find out like a week later you did everything wrong and have to go back and refix everything. Anybody had that in their life? Who's had a parent that's done that to them? Oh, you can do it this way and keep on going and keep on going and realize like you should have listened right. Like this is what I see that, that Jesus is saying, I'm not what you think I am, but you're going to keep on pursuing, keep on pursuing. They're looking, Peter is looking for a Messiah, but he's not looking for a, a, surfing, a suffering Messiah. I'm going to throw a little context in here. <clears throat> When we look at the transfiguration of Christ and versus, versus the history of the Hawaiian culture, 
Some of the things are, are close. Am I relating this to Christ? No, but, but just for some, some knowledge. When we look at the kapu system, that is the law. That is the holy law. And so in the same way that Moses set up the law of Israel, we can look at that here. So if, if I told you today, if there was a prophet that came to the, the island of Hawaii and said, there will be a Messiah who's going to set you free, you're going to think of it as a political Messiah. You're going to think of somebody that's going to take the kingdom of Hawaii back and take it away from the United States of America, correct? Like that's how, that's how mentally we would process a Messiah in this day. The Jews are looking at the Messiah in the same exact way. They're looking somebody to take them out of the uh, out of the captivity of the Romans. They're looking for somebody to es- escort them out, like the Exodus of uh, from Moses. They want something of that nature, and so Peter's pleading, "This is you. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. So set up a kingdom and let's go." But Jesus is like, no, this is not the Messiah. This is not the type of Messiah I'm, I'm setting up. Jesus knew that Peter was what Peter confessed, but he also didn't fully understand what he was saying. Who's ever been in those situations in life? I've confessed things, I've said things, and I didn't know what I was saying. I set myself up. So we see the the evidence of this. We see the evidence of Christ's deity in being revealed here. His his deity is in the physical change. His clothes became radiant, intensely white. If my clothes became intensely white up here, it would freak some of you out. It would freak me out. I I would be scared. It's one thing to go up the mountain and my face become intensely white because I cannot breathe. But it's different if my clothes became, it shows who God is. So, if, so look at this. If, if the gospel has changed you internally, so if you've got a new heart, then your outside reaction, they, then the external actions will also change. That's the reality truth. If the gospel has changed you internally, then your external actions will also change. You might not become glowing. Praise God if you have it. But if you internally have changed, then your outside actions are going to change. Your external features are going to change. Your heart is going to change, which means your motives are going to change. We also see the evidence of, of his deity by those that were around him. We see the evidence of Christ's deity by those who were around him. This is how I said it. Game recognizes game in my hipster kind of language. You follow me? Moses was the, the patriarch, one of the many patriarchs of the Israel nation, the nation of Israel. Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and then you've got the, then you've got the prophets, who Elijah is one. Listen to some of this. Moses was the giver of the law. You see that Moses was was the way of their salvation. They thought 
They're the, the ones that are law keepers enter the kingdom of heaven. Moses came 1,400 years before Christ. But this is a cool relationship between Moses and Elijah that I found. How did Moses end his life? How did Moses end his life? He was on a mountaintop looking into the promised land that, that God gave the Israelites. See, God gave them the promised land, but because of sin and Moses' past, he wasn't allowed to enter into the kingdom or into that, that promised land. He had the mountaintop experience. Moses, he got to go up to the mountain with three people. When he received the law of God, Moses went up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, the giver of the law, and, and with three people. What did Jesus do here? In the same passage in Mark, Jesus takes his three disciples up the mountain. As Moses comes down the mountain, after spending time with God, Moses' skin shines with um, shines because of the glory of God that was revealed to him. What happens when Jesus goes up on the mountain? Jesus is transfigured and he sees the glory of God. They see the glory of God revealed in Jesus and his clothes become radiant white. And then Moses on his mountaintop experience, God appears veiled behind a cloud and speaks through the cloud. What happened in Jesus? God appears veiled behind a cloud and speaks with them from the cloud. The Jews, the Peter, James, and John knew the story in and out. They would have known intensely. They knew that it took Moses six days to climb the mountain to get to Mount Sinai. How long did Mark say it took? After six days of waiting, they went to the mountaintop. But not only Moses, let's look at Elijah. Elijah was 900 years before Christ. He was, he was given the great prophet. Thank you. How did Elijah's life end? Elijah's life ended by God taking him up. Elijah is one of the two people in Scripture that never died. God took him up after he had ran away from the worshiper of Jezebel. He was the king at the time. God took him away. So both of these people were on the outside. They did something wrong at the end of their life. They could either see the promise of God and not fulfill it, or they, they, got it, they ran away and God said, my time with you is over. I'm going to take you up. Both of which are, are glory because both were used by God, but they didn't finish everything they had set out. Moses longed to get into the promised land. Moses wanted to get into the promised land. But watch how this fulfillment takes place, all right? By having Elijah on one side and Moses on the other, he fulfills what Matthew 5, 17 says. Do you think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets? I came to fulfill them. You see, Moses, I mean, in this time with having Moses and Elijah beside Jesus, it is saying, God the Father is saying, this is my son. He said he's going to complete what these men tried to complete. Your salvation through the law is not through the law, it's through Jesus. 
Your salvation through the prophets that was prophesying of a Messiah, your salvation is through Jesus. You see, so, so it's not about what they did. Like, we can look back to the law, but now we get to look back to the law through the lens of Christ. We get to look back to the law through the lens of what he said and what he did accomplish on this, accomplish on this earth. So what does this mean for us for the law and the prophets? Fulfillment does not equal abandonment of the law and the prophets. It is still good for us to study. It's still good for us to, to know and to love the law and the prophets. David said, I had the law written on my heart. And so, so it's still good to go back. We don't need to re- neglect the first half of the word of God because we think it's fulfilled. But we are to view them all through the lens of Jesus. Do we have to go back and do the, Messiah, the, the covenants? No. Do we, have you ever seen us shed the blood of a lamb here? No, because that, that blood that was shed through the law of God was foreshadowing Christ's coming. This is, if you get one thing out of this whole message, this is what I want you to get. So what's the importance of the deity of Christ? Why is it important that Christ was both God and man? Why was it important that God was part of the Trinity? Here's the answer. It's a long one, so bear with me, but here's the answer. If Jesus wasn't fully God, he would not have borne the full penalty of the sin of the world. And if he did not bear the full penalty of the sin of the world as a sinless man, there would be no valid payment for anyone's sins, and no one could be saved. So what does this mean? If God was just fully man and not God, if Jesus was just fully man and not God, he could substitute for one person. <coughs> if God was if Jesus was fully God and not man, his substitute wouldn't make sense because you had to <coughs> It was the, through the sin of one man that death entered into the world. So he need, it needed to be both God and man in order for this marriage to work. That God the Father had set up before the foundation of the world that you will have to come as the incarnate son. Christmas is important because of the virgin birth. If there's no virgin birth, there's no penalty of sin for the whole world taken away. Jesus' humanity allows us to serve one and serve, allows him to serve as the mediator between God and man. He is our mediator. He is the median that the veil, we sing it every, almost every week, that the veil was tore when he died upon the cross. But it was tore from the top to the bottom because God ripped it because now we had a mediator in place of, of the curtain. We could experience the glory of God. Which leads us to our biblical truth. Jesus, in this moment, 
Jesus is screaming, he is the greater Moses. He has a greater exodus and a greater salvation. Have we ever looked at the Old Testament through this? That the exodus is actually pointing us to the salvation of Jesus Christ? Have we looked through the lens of that? That Jesus is the greater Moses, the deliverer, of the greater exodus and a greater salvation? So we've seen Christ's deity in this. And then the second, the second truth we see from, from this passage, from this passage is, is a future hope known. And this is where it gets pers- like personal with us. A future hope known. Jesus shows that all who are followers of him will be glorified. And the account of Luke of the same, the same trans, transfiguration. Moses and Elijah, they, he goes into greater detail about Moses and Elijah, but they were standing in glory with Jesus. So all three of them were glorified in a glorified state. Why is that important? Because they didn't even have Jesus when they passed away. So as believers in that, We will be glorified. We don't have to be the perfect law keepers. Moses wasn't the perfect law keeper. We don't have to be the perfect prophet. That Elijah wasn't the perfect prophet. They didn't end well, but we have the hope that Jesus ended well. We know for the fact Jesus ended well. So our hope all goes unto him. And that's why, like, when you have three people around each other and two of them are prophets, like, if, like going back to the cultural thing, if Kamehameha came up out of the dead and he said, this guy, he knows what he's talking about, uh, culturally, that's like, oh, my goodness. Culturally, that's like, this, we've got to go tell everybody. And that's what it's saying here. Here's here's also the hope that we can see in the lives of Moses and Elijah. Our hope is not in what we do. It's about who we know. You hear it all the time. But if you don't believe that with all your heart, it's it's easy to believe that coming and serving or or I'm not as good as I thought I was. Like even, even this week, I... As my wife and I were talking, we, she was talking about a post where a pastor's wife, a well-known pastor's wife, who the pastor stepped down from ministry for a time, not anything big, not a sexual sin or nothing, but he stepped down. But her identity was crushed. Her identity as a pastor's wife was crushed because she didn't know how to handle herself. Because all of her faith was pointed to one person, not the God. You see what I'm saying? So like, even though we say that, we can say that about a lot of things, but do we believe it in our hearts? If my wife is taken from me, is my hope still in the gospel? Or have I placed my hope in the relationship that God has blessed me with. 
Romans 8, 17 says this, talking about glorification. If, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering's going to come, but our hope ends well, that we will be glorified. But did you catch the first part? If we're children, if we're children of God, as a child, you're dependent on him for everything. I don't expect my child to, now, I'm, I'm longing for this day, all right? So bear with me. I'm longing for the day for my sons to be able to mow the yard. I'm longing for that day. Like, just wait, Jack. You're going to get a weed whacker here pretty soon, and then you're going to go outside, and that's going to be your punishment. But that's not, the, that's not the relationship we have right now. As children, as small children, they're totally dependent on me and the goodness of me. But if we're children, then we're heirs. But watch this. And then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We inherit what Christ inherits. You follow me? So we inherit what Christ inherits because of his sacrifice, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So there's a path. We have to follow this path of suffering. But it ends well with us. Philippians 1.6 says the same thing. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. If Christ has moved your hearts, if Christ has moved your soul, if Christ has hit you with a freaking freight train, he will finish it. Because what we're studying, we're talking about the uh, transfiguration. If you got a new heart, it's a transfiguration. Uh, it's a transformation. It's both of them and more combined. The only righteousness we have, reality truth for us, and then we'll move on. The only righteousness we have has been given to us by Christ. The only Goodness we have has been given to us by Christ. The only thing that makes us lovable by Christ has been given to us by Christ. You can insert whatever here. The only thing that makes Christ love us has been given to us by Christ. So then then we go to number three, mind transformed. Look at this, Mark 5, 8, Mark 9, 5 through 8. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good that we are here? And let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they saw, they no longer saw anyone with them. All right. 
let's look at three things out of this, four things out of this. But let's remember, Peter's just like us, guys. Peter's response is just like all of us. All right, so, so as we look, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. you're a Peter. Turn to your other neighbor and say, neighbor, you're a Peter. All right, he's just like all of us. Listen to this. Number one, Peter tries to make Jesus fit his style. Remember, he's looking for, the, he's looking for an earthly Messiah. He's looking for a political Messiah. And Jesus said, you have not set your mind on things above, but on things on this earth. Have we tried to fit Jesus into our earthly style? Have we had to, have, are we using Jesus to justify what we're in right now? Oh, Jesus is my Messiah for trying to get out of debt, or Jesus is my Messiah to get out of prison, or whatever. Or is he a full Messiah? He wants to bring the kingdom, look, Look at this. Look at this passage. He wants to bring the kingdom of Christ, said in verse 1. So verse 1, he was like, the kingdom of God is at hand by creating the tabernacle on the mountain. Peter wants to set up a community group on the mountain. Oh, my napkin. Peter wants to be able to grab the jersey out of the out of the closet and smell it and smell pine saw because that's what we used to use to wash our clothes in. But Peter wants to be able to climb the mountain and go see God, go see transfigured Jesus, go see Moses and go see Elijah anytime he wanted. We do this in our lives. How many of, how many of us has had one of these experiences at youth camp? We, we have we go to youth camp, we get the t-shirt, and we have this close-knit relationship with Christ there, and then we come back to the world, and we don't know how to handle ourselves. We want to go back to, back to the youth camp every year in order to be fed. We go, to, we go to Japan on a mission trip and get fired up, but then when we come back, we don't have what we're looking for. In the, in the valley, there's not the, the same glory that we received on the mountaintop. So we try to box the mountaintop experience up so we can return to it anytime we want. It's not what Christ is doing here. There's a couple of things. As we, as we look at that in particular, how many of us have climbed a mountain before? It's not hard. I mean, it's hard. It's not hard. I, Jesus, I'm not climbing Mauna Kea today. It's not easy. It's, it's work to get to the mountaintop. But Jesus usually speaks to people on the mountaintops. So if you're in a dry season, but, but following the, the rut of trying to get up to the mountain, keep on going. Because God speaks to people on mountaintops. But guess what? We cannot stay on the mountaintop longing for him to speak more. God speaks, and then we have to go into the valley and plow and wait for the next mountaintop. You follow me? So if, you've, if you're looking back to a mountaintop experience, 
If you have like little things in your life, like I've got them all over the place. This is just how I was raised. Um, I've got things in my Bible. But if, you've, if you're holding on to this, look, I'll give you a perfect example. This is why I'm not a big proponent of this. If you, lo- if you hold on to your baptism date as a sign of your salvation, I would check your salvation. Because you're going up to the, the only mountaintop experience you've had in your relationship with Christ and grabbing the date and saying that's the proof. But you've got to keep on moving. Jesus doesn't stop. We've got to keep on going. So i got to keep on going on this sermon before I set another record. Number two, Peter shoots himself in the foot. How many times do we not know what to say, and then we open our mouths anyways? All right, when God reveals something to you so awesome that he leaves you speechless, the only thing we should do is worship God. When God leaves you speechless, our, our, what we do in our life should be worship, not try to explain it, like what Peter did here. Oh, I didn't know what else to say, so I said, let's do this. So he went to religion that says, let's do things for God instead of be a part of God. You follow me? All right, number three, Peter, James, and John were terrified. Yeah, I would be too. Like, let's be real. We all would be terrified. But when we bow our knee, whatever, whatever the way is, when you come into the presence of a holy God, you will be terrified. So my question out of this is, when was the last time you were terrified of God? Not in the sense of his destruction, but in the sense of his holiness. When's the last time you saw your sin in the same state that your sin is in to a holy God? There's times in our lives, yes, we need the the love of Jesus. We need the gentleness of Jesus. But there's some times in our lives that we need the holiness of a righteous God. When's the last time you've been terrified because of the sin that's in your life? Number four, and I've, I've stated this already. Peter tries to bottle the experience. And this, is, this is Peter's youth camp experience. This is Youth Camp 101. Get you on a high and let you go. God showed up, and he wanted everything to remain the same. So this is Peter's response. Now look at, look at what God the Father says to Peter. Verse 5. This is my son. Listen to him. In today's words, God the Father said, Peter, shut up. Listen to Jesus. How many, most of us need to hear that today. Just listen to Jesus. It's not about what you can do. It's not about your abilities, talents, and gifts. But it's about the relationship with the Son. Jesus has been preaching that they will suffer. We will suffer. There's going to be seasons where we suffer more than we do right now, but we will suffer for the sake of Christ. 
So my question is, have we been quiet enough to listen to God speak? Have you been quiet enough to listen to God speak? Or even as you open up your scriptures, are you trying to explain why you do certain things? Have you been quiet enough to listen to God speak today, this week, this month, this year so far? Have you sat in a holy awe of God? Or are you trying to explain your life away like Peter did? All right, as the band comes up, I want us to look at one last thing. And they asked him, verse 11 through 13, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to, the, to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with the contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they will do with him whatever they please, as it was written of him. This is going to be the hardest part for some of us. I promise you, Peter, James, and John knew the Old Testament better than anybody here and probably better than all of us combined, if I'm honest. They missed Elijah. They heard the prophecy of Elijah. They missed Elijah. So listen to this. Only God can reveal himself to you. We will never be able to prove God into existence. Jesus does not qualify him. Peter doesn't qualify Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Jesus qualifies Peter. Peter, James, and John, the three beloved disciples... I mean, if you got a hierarchy of Christian fellowship, uh, you got Jesus in these three. They walked with Jesus daily. They missed the sign of Elijah because they were spiritually blind. Have you missed Jesus with the same blindness? Can you confess that Jesus is Lord, but still spiritually be blind to him? Look, Scripture says, Romans says that there's going to be a lot of people at the day of judgment say, but Lord, I've confessed in your name. I cast out demons in your name. But you missed him. And so that's my question. Do you have the hope of glorification? Are you doing this for some other method? Are you like Peter and confess him one day and then do the same things that you rebuke the day after. Are we spiritually blind because God hasn't revealed it to us?